We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. It's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined this evening by Michael Smith in Kaohsiung. Hey, thanks for having me. And Ross Feingold in Taipei. Good evening. And we'll be jumping straight in with President Tsai Ing-wen telling CNN this week that the threat from Beijing is growing every day and for the first time a head of state being Tsai Ing-wen, also confirmed the presence of American troops here in Taiwan. But she remained rather coy about the numbers, saying only not as many as people thought. Now, speaking with CNN's Will Ripley, Tsai described the island as a beacon of democracy that needs to be defended to uphold faith worldwide in democratic values. However, she went on to warn that if that fails, it will mean people that believe in those values would doubt whether those values well, should be worth fighting for. And she also said that more cross-rate communications would be helpful, given the two sides' differences, so both sides can exist peacefully. And she also stressed that the situation has changed a lot since former President Ma Ying-jeou sat down with Xi Jinping, saying that China's plan towards the region is now very different. Now, the press jumped all over Defence Minister Cho Guo-jung following Tsai's comments and speaking at a legislative hearing. Basically, well, the Defence Minister said, you know, it's really nothing new. We always have these cooperation programs going on with US forces. Now, of course, Tsai's CNN interview was broadcast after several US officials, including President Joe Biden, mentioned Taiwan. Now, Biden on Wednesday said that Taiwan was basically, well, he, he basically said that um, China's coercive actions towards Taiwan are a threat to peace and stability and he said that virtually at the East Asia Summit which was also attended by China's Premier Li Keqiang. Biden also reiterated at the summit that the US has a rock-solid commitment to Taiwan and went on to stress the Washington's concerns that Beijing is threatening regional peace and stability. Now that statement by Biden came of course only a week after he told CNN that well Washington would come to Taiwan's defence if it was attacked by China the White House, needless to say, quickly sought to clarify that comment, saying that Biden is not signalling any change in US policy towards the island. Now, also this week, US Secretary of State Antony Blinken called on all United Nations member states to support Taiwan's robust participation in the global body. And according to Blinken, Taiwan's exclusion from the UN forums undermines the important work of the UN and its related bodies, all of which stand to benefit greatly from Taiwan's contributions. Blinken also said the US is encouraging all UN member states to join in supporting Taiwan's robust, meaningful participation throughout the UN system and in the international community. While US State Department spokesman Ned Price reiterated Blinken's comments for Taiwan to be able to participate in UN agencies, but he declined to elaborate on what the Biden administration actually would define as meaningful participation. Now, those UN comments came as US lawmakers were criticising Beijing for interpreting the United Nations Resolution 2758, which was adopted on October the 20th. 5th of 1971 to support excluding Taiwan from taking part in the UN system and they accuse Beijing of seeking to intentionally misuse, misinterpret and mislead others on the underlying purpose of the resolution to undermine Taiwan's standing and participation in the international community. So lots about Taiwan from American talking heads and the head of state there in America and of course Tsai Ross made her annual CNN interview. Who are you calling talking head? You've been giving a long soliloquy there about, about all these recent events. Uh, but, but the key thing is, uh, as you alluded to, uh, most of these things are not new. So uh, 
the threat from China against Taiwan uh, increasing day by day. Yeah, like since October 1st, 1949, uh, there has been a threat of a military confrontation between uh, China and Taiwan. Uh, so uh, you know, that's not new. Uh, meaningful participation uh, for Taiwan in UN or other multilateral organizations Consistent position of the United States going back through several uh, presidential administrations. So nothing new there. Then uh, your final point, you know, the annual kind of uh, interview with this media or that media, whether it's uh, CNN or AP or Wall Street Journal, uh, not new, right? Uh, it, it's kind of hard to get very excited about one one or more uh, interviews uh, when they're just reiterating the same points, right? We're under threat. Taiwan's a democracy. Uh, we're going to work with like-minded countries. So it's actually much of the same. I mean, maybe it's a little bit different in, in the sense that some of these things are bunched up uh, together. But ultimately, uh, you know, Taiwan still needs to prepare for a possible uh, military confrontation uh, initiated by China. Taiwan is probably not going to get to participate. Uh, as a member, certainly, is not going to get to participate in most international organizations. And uh, spokespersons from the Biden administration are going to continue to use this phrase that's already become so cliche, rock solid. I just hope that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the presidential office here in Taiwan don't just robotically repeat it, because after a while, it sort of loses its significance if uh, we have Washington and Taipei bouncing rock solids off each other uh, several times a month. Yeah, um, I was also interested in how the, the press jumped all over uh, Biden's comments. So, I mean, technically, it's true. The, the uh, Taiwan Relations Act of 1979 only commits the United States to sell defensive weapons to Taiwan and regards a PRC attack on the island as a, quote, breach of the peace, a serious breach of the peace. So what Biden said may have been a little different, but in April 2001, George W. Bush, when pressed by media, also said America would protect Taiwan. He said he, uh, the United States would do whatever it took. In 2020, Donald Trump said uh, a similar thing. He said, China knows what I'm going to do. China knows, with a tone that was, you know, uh, clearly indicating uh, a strong commitment. So um, people were calling this a Biden gaffe. I'm not sure. Um, it seems I mostly I agree with Ross that uh, it's, it's pretty much the same. Then um, if you think about the whole U.S. military forces in Taiwan thing, the U.S. military posted and then deleted a video in 2020 showing uh, special forces training in Taiwan. Then Taiwan uh, confirmed and denied to local media that they were here. And now Tsai says that uh, there are some here. Now, it doesn't take a lot of Googling to find that the numbers of those troops here are estimated to be somewhere from 18 to 35. And that includes the people that are in uh, uh, AIT at the moment. So um, I guess I just don't really believe that the U.S. military and the Taiwan Defense Ministry made uh, a bumbling mistake by putting it up and taking it down. I think it's, it's part of their strategy for strategic, uh, sort of a strategic ambiguity about all of this. And uh, whether or not the, you had the, the Cato Indust uh, Institute rather coming out and, and uh, condemning uh, Biden, and then you had the Hill magazine saying that America should end strategic ambiguity and say very clearly, and uh, it just it, it seems that uh, the, the the path that the states has been on for, as Ross noted, the past couple administrations, it seems to to really be the only one that. Uh, 
stands a, a chance at being relatively successful for now. And I don't think that uh, they should end complete ambiguity. Uh, there was a report about whether or not the U.S. would come to defend the Dongsha Islands, you know, in the event of an attack. And it's a question. Uh, maybe, maybe not. And having that maybe, maybe not is probably a, a good thing for Taiwan. So, yes, nothing's really changed. I'm not sure if Biden really made uh, a, a genuine uh, gaffe or slip up. This is not new. Uh, pretty much has been repeated by other presidents before. So, yeah, not, not much more to say here. And, Ross, do you, do you think somewhere in the White House there's a cupboard, and in that cupboard there's a box, and when you open the box there's a piece of paper, and it says, we wish it was 2008 to 2016 once again? Well, certainly the, the Biden administration, or, or as snarky critics like to call it the Obama-Biden administration or the Obama-Biden-Harris administration, uh, but the point is uh, it's a lot of the same people, uh, and uh, yeah, they were supportive of President Ma's policies towards China at the time. And obviously they were supportive of President Obama's policies uh, towards China at the time. And that was a legitimate concern of critics during the election campaign uh, in the United States uh, a year ago, that, that the return of the Biden administration uh, would probably involve a, a, a rollback. Uh, people might use different descriptions to say there's been a lot of rollback or only a little adjustment of the Trump administration policies. So that was always a legitimate concern that the Biden administration was not going to uh, in, uh, continue the trajectory of policy actions towards China or supportive of Taiwan that we saw in the Trump administration. And it w- I think, frankly, it would be ridiculous to say that the Biden administration has continued that trajectory because they obviously have not. Uh, has it been very dangerous for Taiwan or, or uh, very dangerous for the United States? Uh, again, there'll be differences of opinion on that, but I actually, uh, Gavin, I think that little box that you're you're asking about in the White House, uh, to go back to my previous remarks, it's probably full of little rocks, very solid ones. And when the question <laughs> of Taiwan comes up, uh, the spokespersons, uh, whether it's from the White House or over at the State Department or the Defense Department, they open up that little box and say, "See, we have a rock solid rock uh, to show our support for Taiwan. It's rock solid." And on that rather facetious comment by Ross Feingold there, we shall move on to the coronavirus news. Now, the Central Epidemic Command Centre this week said that it's still considering whether or not to allow incoming travellers to be able to quarantine at home once again. The statement came amid calls for people to be able to quarantine at home ahead of the Lunar New Year holiday in late January because quarantine hotel reservations are apparently already nearly fully booked for that period. Now, some officials have said that by allowing people to quarantine at home, well, that would ease pressure on the government to provide quarantine venues for the large number of people who of course returned to Taiwan for the New Year holiday. However, the Epidemic Command Centre voiced its concerns about allowing home quarantine and also cautioned that the coronavirus situation here in Taiwan could change drastically in a matter of weeks. And the Health Minister, Mr Chen Shih-jong, said the government will announce its decision on the issue of a return to home quarantine within at least two weeks. Meanwhile, the Health Minister this week also announced that the government has completed the design of a national digital coronavirus vaccine certificate system. The system will recognise local emergency use authorisation vaccines and most World Health Organisation approved vaccines and it apparently broadly follows the model adopted by the European Union. The EU initiated its EU digital COVID certificate on July the 1st and the certification is digital proof that an individual has either been vaccinated against the coronavirus, received a negative test result or recovered from the disease. Now apparently Taiwan's overseas representative offices and embassies are apparently now tasked with promoting the cross-system bilateral 
validation system with other countries, the countries they're in, of course. However, the health minister here is saying uh, he doesn't quite know when the programme will be launched. Meanwhile, the World Health Organisation this week announced that it's chosen Taiwan's domestically developed Medigen coronavirus vaccine to take part in an international clinical trial platform. Now, according to the global health body, the Medigen vaccine has been chosen, along with a vaccine developed by American company Inovia Pharmaceuticals for the Solidarity Trial Vaccines platform. And a Medigen spokesperson said the company is pleased about the news and it will continue with ongoing clinical trials so its products can be approved internationally. So, Michael, there we go. Some, some question over whether we can return to home quarantine at the Lunar New Year, with some saying, yeah, do it, because the quarantine hotels are full, and others maybe erring on the side of caution there. I can certainly understand the people who uh, have that feeling that they're of wishing to err on the side of caution, but I've also detected a, a clear shift, it seems, uh, in a majority of, of places around the world, leaning towards the understanding that we are going to have to start learning how to live with COVID, and it's not going to disappear miraculously. And if that's the case, then um, allowing people to quarantine at home would be something that uh, perhaps we just need to get used to. Maybe there needs to be better monitoring of it or something, but um, we, we may not be able to uh, continually keep all, all of these things uh, barriers so high, and we just might have to start uh, getting used to it. Um, as far as the, uh, the national digital COVID uh, vaccine certificate system, that uh, seems awesome, and it would be nice to have some way of having, uh, I guess, the equivalent of a, a digital passport. I've definitely noticed, at least in southern Taiwan, that uh, people are beginning to ignore the uh, the little QR codes that are put up outside of uh, various places and just walk right in. So there is perhaps some some laxity or some loosening of, 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 of uh, uh, feelings in people because we haven't had uh, an outbreak in a while here. But uh, in general, yeah, I think I'm with the people who say we have to learn to live with this. Uh, two issues there. One, I'm, I'm a home quarantine. Let's just follow the science. I mean, if, if, if the, the low number of cases... The combined with the testing results that people have to show when they enter the country and, and, and the contact tracing system, which is from day one of the pandemic, has been pretty well developed. I mean, I, I've always uh, taken the, the view that one of the reasons why Taiwan has had a very small number of cases is because it had a very robust uh, contact tracing system from the moment people enter the, enter the, the country. So uh, you know, when we combine these factors plus vaccinations, uh, is, a, is a lengthy quarantine justified, whether at a quarantine hotel or even at home? Again, we should let the science question, uh, let the science, you know, dictate the decision. Uh, but clearly, there's enormous political pressure on the government uh, to relax this, not just for people who are, are generally based overseas, but often come home for the Lunar New Year holiday, but for the people who live here who want to travel overseas, especially now that so many other places around the world have relaxed inbound travel restrictions. Uh, but then we come back to Taiwan if we do travel overseas and, and we don't want to have to go to a quarantine hotel or even home quarantine for excessive periods. So the government's under enormous pressure. But on the other hand, uh, there's that, 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 that 
worry. You know, they want to be conservative. They don't want to get it wrong. Nobody wants to be accused of being the person who, who made the decision uh, that, that relaxed restrictions that then led to a small cluster of COVID cases, which they don't want to live with. Right? So everywhere around the world, they're, they're talking about living with COVID, but we still seem to be very conservative. Uh, on the digital proof of vaccine or, or your status, uh, you know, we, we've talked about this here on the show months and months ago and many times already that Taiwan was moving slowly on that. So all other countries were developing these things. Uh, Taiwan was silent on that, just like it was silent on doing large, uh, you know, sort of mass testing. And it was kind of silent on buying vaccines from overseas because it was hoping for the locally domestic uh, made vaccine would come to, you know, pass tests and come to market. Uh, so there, there are a number of things where Taiwan seemed to be just slow. And, yeah, you got to negotiate these things with other governments. It takes time. And then there are probably going to be some other uh, some governments who want to negotiate it with China before they negotiate it with Taiwan. So this will get done eventually. Right. The, the, we do know that, that the talent is here to develop these kinds of apps. And you know, we saw that with the contact tracing apps, for example. They, they could actually produce those things relatively quickly here, and they generally work quite well. Uh, but there's still that element of negotiating this with other governments, and that'll just take time. It'll take resources from, uh, as you alluded to, the overseas offices, uh, different departments of the foreign governments. Uh, I, I, I'm disappointed, frankly. I, I think Taiwan should have been way out ahead on that. Uh, but uh, we're probably going to find that there'll be some countries that have already accepted it, some countries that haven't yet to accept it. Again, it's not because of any animus towards Taiwan. It's just, it's just a bureaucratic process. And ultimately, that's going to restrict uh, some of the travel opportunities for people here in Taiwan who've already uh, received vaccinations. And moving away from the coronavirus now onto news from Kaohsiung, where Michael is. Now, the mayor of the city there, Chen Chi Mai, on Tuesday evening, accepted the resignation of the city's fire chief and the head of the local government's Public Works Bureau. Both fire chief Li Ching Shou and Public Works Bureau Director Su Jia Xuan tendered their resignations to take responsibility for the October 14th fire at the Zhang Zhong Zhang building that left 46 people dead and 43 others injured. Li and Su apparently submitted their resignations immediately following the blaze, but the mayor held off on accepting them at the time, citing a need for both officials to assist in the investigation into the cause of the fire. Now, according to the office of the Kaohsiung mayor, Chen only approved the resignations after he felt that Li's and Su's cooperation with the team task when investigating the fire had wrapped up its initial inquiries. Meanwhile, local KMT city councillors held a press conference on Wednesday during which they called for Chen to resign as mayor and take responsibility for the fire. The councillors also threatened to block the city's budget for next year if Chen refuses to comply with that request. Needless to say, the DPP's Kaohsiung city councillors came out in support of the mayor and accused the KMT of using tragedy to try to obtain political gains. So, Michael, obviously very, very nice Nasty, very shocking fire there in Kaohsiung. Yeah, well, just one real quick thing about the city council. Like, if they wanted to pass uh, various uh, city ordinances or something, the the KMT would be in a very strong position to do that because they control the majority of seats in the council and have done so for quite a while. But moving on, um, the Yenchen district where this happened is the oldest district in Kaohsiung city, and it was actually uh, made with uh, uh, dredging. Uh, Built from uh, the harbor by the Japanese, and so you've got the the first post office uh, in the city there, and all kinds of stuff. And there's several sections of it that are you know, historical areas, Hamashin, and th- these areas are quite nice. They've been refurbished. Um, 
And there's uh, other massive uh, construction going on nearby because it's right along the Love River. But there's one little section, and my daughter goes to school just uh, five blocks away from, from this building where, where it happened. One section of Yenchen that is, there might be a dozen buildings there that were all built in the mid-1970s to the early 1980s, and they are just really quite uh, awful. And um, this particular one, so there was a shopping mall on the first to fourth floor that uh, had been mostly abandoned. Car park, basement, all abandoned. Movie theater on the fifth and sixth floor, also abandoned over the years. Uh, that movie theater became uh, somewhat well-known not long ago as a place where strangers would uh, meet for adult encounters. And then above that, from the 7th to the 11th floor, used to be offices, and they were divided then into very, very small taofang, you know, uh, one-person homes. And it was occupied by old people who, to put it bluntly, uh, were poor. So we're talking about rents, like 3,000 NT for one of these places, and one report said that you could even buy one of these apartments for as little as half a million NT. The building did not have a building um, committee or any sort of managing uh, directive. Uh, they couldn't pay for a guard fee. Um, just the month before the fire, they had ordered fire extinguishers for like the first time in an, uh, who knows how long, but it was three per floor. One elevator was out. So there's just a, a, a whole bunch of stuff here that, that needs to be addressed. And... We've got, according to one report, at least 8,000 such buildings in Taiwan. That actually, to me, seems low. Uh, in Kaohsiung itself, we've got plenty of these uh, ones. And yet you can fire or you can let the, the head of this department or that department resign. But um, Michael Turton put something in the Taipei Times the other day, and I don't agree with everything he writes, but um, he made a, a couple of interesting points. And one of those is that at least, you know, outside of the Tianguolong, which is what we uh, outside of Taipei call Taipei, the sort of bubble of, of uh, sanity and law that uh, you have there, there is a, a, not a huge desire for regulations to be imposed by the people so you know the lawmakers or the city council members will say you put people's lives but it, it comes down to actually the people themselves uh, not really embracing a culture of uh, safety or uh, law abidedness if i can make a word so i'm talking about like just simple stuff uh, during rush hour in the main part of Kaohsiung, a well-developed area. When the road gets too clogged with motorcycles, people still jump up on the sidewalk and drive on there. Um, there's just so many things in, in many parts of Taiwan where general safety rules are just not followed, nor do they want to be followed. So I think uh, there's going to have to be some cultural changes before uh, stuff like this gets done. We. You, you have a fire inspector come, he'll look at uh, a hallway or a, a stairway, and he'll say, you know, you can't have these shoe closets in here. They'll move them, then they'll move them back, you know. So uh, until the people get behind this in a way where uh, education or whatever it needs to be done to, to, get, to get up to this stage, I don't uh, see a, a whole lot of progress, even though they say they're going to increase inspections or whatever. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a negative view, but that's my, my, my take on it for now. Well, we talk about this every time there's a, a tragedy that results in many deaths in Taiwan, um, whether it's a building fire, bus crash has been a, a recurring problem as well, the large tour buses that, that travel on the highways uh, of Taiwan, uh, sometimes uh, large road crashes, uh, that, that there's uh, deficiencies in safety culture often. There, there is a lack of follow-up on 
inspections. Uh, well, an inspector might come and point out some things, but then there's just no no follow up. Uh, when it's road bus related, for example, we you know, we find that. Uh, they have procedures. There's laws. There's regulations. Internal procedures at the companies. They may have been followed, but but not implemented uh, all the way towards completion. Uh, so there, there's a problem you know, with that. Again, we say this every time. There, there's this kind of tragedy that there's a safety culture problem, uh, specifically within institutions here in Taiwan, whether it's government institutions or, or in the corporate sector, universities, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to take a long time to change that. It's, it's not something that uh, leadership is particularly focused on, in my opinion. You know, they talk about it when there's a tragedy, but then afterwards, you know, this issue will, will disappear. Um, you know, no, nobody really knows what to do if there's a fire in their apartment building or their place of work, even if there's one an annual you know, fire drill. You know, it's treated treated like a joke. Uh, frankly, for a place with the earthquake. Uh, typhoon and obviously military risk or uh, war risk that Taiwan has. I, I think this is very dangerous. Uh, but when it comes to to resignations and, and you know, political responsibility, uh, we can't we can't blame the new mayor. I mean, he's only been at the post for for a brief period of time, a little more than than a year. Uh, you know, you could allot maybe 18 months of responsibility to the previous mayor, Han Guoyu, uh, since he was also only at his post a brief period of time and spent a part of that time running for president. Uh, ultimately, uh, any any inherent cultural problems in the operations of the Kaohsiung city government, uh, part of that responsibility would have to go with uh, former Mayor Chen Ju, who was mayor for many, many years and, and is often praised for for the things that she accomplished as the mayor uh you know, Gaoxiong just just looks like a better city uh during the time you know from when she first became mayor until uh she moved on but uh if there are deficiencies in the in, in the operations internally of the government then she would have to take some responsibility as well um the reason i mentioned that my daughter has a school near uh, goes to school nearby is because that that means i pass by every day to to pick her up and to uh, drop her off and literally, you know, Fubei Road. I have to travel along that road. So on the day of the fire, I was there. But for, for, since she started going to that school, every day as I passed by that building, it's very, very clear just from the outside of the building that this is a place that is in dire need of, of something. It's, uh, grungy, there's stacks of garbage all over the place. So it was very clear for a very long time that, uh, something should be done about this place. So it is disappointing that it, it takes this uh, uh, level of, of uh, tragedy for, for this to be noticed. That said, there are other places in Kaohsiung that are being a little bit more proactive. For example, in Sanming, which is home to uh, the majority of, of uh, apartment buildings in, in Kaohsiung, uh, several buildings recently uh, elected, so they, their board got together and decided to replace the elevators, and it's quite an expensive thing to do and quite difficult and takes time and all of that, but they realized that the elevators would not stand up in the event of uh, a fire, so, you know, they put a whole uh, brand new one in there. So the buildings that have the proper uh, committees and uh, the proper groups of, of, of residents, they can get together and they can vote to, to charge for whatever things need to be done, but we have a good chunk of these older 40-something-year-old buildings that just nobody cares about, and it's clear from passing them that... Uh, th there are disasters waiting to happen, so, yeah. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. 
welcome back to Taiwan this week. And the World Trade Organization on Wednesday Taiwan time confirmed that a committee will discuss specific trade concerns over China's decision to suspend imports of wax apples and custard apples from Taiwan. Now a WTO communications officer said the issue has been put on the agenda of a meeting which is slated for November the 3rd through the 5th. Now China banned imports of the fruits on September the 20th, citing the discovery of mealybugs in several shipments from Taiwan. And the Council of Agriculture here sent documentation to Taiwan's WTO mission earlier this month, requesting that it file the specific trade concerns over the import ban. It's the first time that Taiwan has filed specific trade concerns with the global trade body over China's move to suspend imports of fresh fruits. And Agriculture Minister Chen Jijong said China has failed to provide Taiwan with any scientific evidence or official explanations for the unilateral import suspension, which left the country with no choice but to submit its concerns to the WTO. And Chen says that his office is now looking forward to a positive outcome. However, China's Taiwan Affairs Office spokesperson, Ma Guang this week insisted that Beijing inform Taiwan of the issue in detail on multiple occasions, pointing out what and where the problems were. And speaking at a regular press briefing in the Chinese capital, Ma went on to say that the DPP should take responsibility for source management, while the ultimate solution to the issue lies between China and Taiwan. So, Michael, obviously, the Chinese official there setting up the defence of it's an internal issue. Well, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, their go-to thing. But I have seen actual um, press uh, things from China. I've seen press reports where they do lay out their case and they show images of worms and various fruits and this, that, and the other. And they, they so I think they have made their case. Whether or not that is accurate or not is, is totally impossible for me to judge. Taiwan obviously strenuously denies this, but if you talk to people uh, down here, which uh, is our major fruit-producing area, there's not a lot of optimism that uh, anything is going to change soon. In fact, the general feeling is that uh, more bans are probably likely. And if you, again, if you talk to people here, most people believe that this is politics rather than uh, you know health considerations. But the good news was that when this first ban came into place, it was pretty easy for uh, farmers to find other markets to redirect uh, fruits to. Not everyone, but some. So uh, it may not be as big a nightmare, even if they do ban other fruits, than uh, perhaps originally anticipated. And Ross, I mean, do you see this WTO um, review going anywhere or pretty much dead in the water? Uh well, we could talk about it when the result comes out a few years from now. The WTO <laughs> just doesn't move very quickly for a variety of reasons when it's just a bureaucracy. And that means it's inherently going to move slowly. Obviously, China has a lot of influence there as well. Um, and uh, uh, each side is going to be providing all sorts of detailed scientific evidence. Uh, that, that takes time to sort out uh, as well. So uh, if you're a farmer or an exporter, uh, you certainly don't want to be... Uh, hoping that the WTO provides a solution in, in any reasonable amount of time. So, uh, yeah, this might be political. It, it might be factual as well. There, there probably was a worm or two, whether that justifies uh, the actual ban, you know, then it becomes the political uh, discussion. But, look, we know ultimately this was a political decision by China. Uh, it, it's something they could show domestically, uh, that they're tough on Taiwan as well, that they're going to take actions uh, in, in addition to 
military exercises and statements, but uh, it sells well domestically in, in China to say that uh, Taiwan is being punished for things that China uh, doesn't like. But but from the domestic perspective here in, in Taiwan, look, you know, farmers made this bet, uh, by, frankly, by sympathy is somewhat limited. A market didn't exist. It was opened up uh, during the Ma administration. You know, so people start piling in. Right? They didn't have this market before. Now they have it. Now it's taken away. Uh, so you know, they expect our sympathy. I, you know, I, 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 have, I have some problems with that. Right? You're a business person. You may, you know, you, you, whether you're a, a, a farmer, a planter, or a wholesaler, the exporters, anyone in this supply chain, you know, you're all trying to make some money and, you know, okay, you'll, you'll, now you don't have that opportunity, but you're the one who took the risk uh, on this. Uh, but the result is going to be the same thing that we saw with the pineapples, right? There's going to be subsidies to sell to other markets. Uh, the government will announce that buyers in other countries have bought uh, some more tons of this product. But again, that's with a lot of subsidies, whether for marketing or shipping. You know, Taiwan fruit, with some limited exceptions, frankly, is just not a very competitive product uh, for export. And moving on, voters in Taichung's second electoral district chose to recall Taiwan State Building Party lawmaker Chen Wei this past weekend. The recall campaign had been initiated by one of his constituents, but he got a whole heap of backing from the KMT. Now, after the election results of the recall election results, that is, have been announced, Eric Ju went on to say that the party plans now to give a vote of no confidence to the Thai administration in December's referendums, saying that basically this recall was the first political victory of his career as the newly re-elected KMT chairman. Now, the DPP this week came out and said President Tsai Ing-wen and several other government officials, including Vice President William Lai and Premier Su Jin Chung, plan to go on a tour of the island to persuade voters in December to vote no, while Eric Ju came out moments later and said he's going to go on a tour and tell voters to vote yes to the referendums, Ross. A lot of interesting dynamics here. Uh, was was this referendum really a, a, a reflection of disappointment, at least by the people who voted uh, yes? I'm sorry, the, the recall. Uh, was it just a reflection of you know, people who were disappointed in Sankyuga, as he, he likes to be called, uh, Chumboway's performance? You know, his, he was new to politics and uh, first elect, first time holding elected office, and uh, he had lost his previous attempt in 2018. Well, people thought he was a bit, you know, controversial or unconventional. Although unconventional politician is not new for Taiwan, uh, but, but there, there's, uh, I would say it's a, it's a legitimate concern uh, that the the, the referendum, uh, sorry, the recall. Uh, was done for uh, you know, malicious reasons. They say, "Oi, oi, bamian." It wasn't really legitimate. Uh, I'm partially sympathetic to that. You know, if you don't like him, just vote him out next time. On the other hand, uh, we have to respect the process, and it was. The DPP, when they took the legislative majority uh, in, in, in 2016, that did lower the thresholds for recalls here in Taiwan. And sometimes it's worked out well for them. For example, Hangul Yu being recalled is, is an example. Uh, and sometimes it hasn't worked out so well, uh, such as Chen uh, Wei uh, or Wang Hao Yu, a city councilor who was successfully recalled earlier this year. Uh, so so uh, it goes both ways. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's ultimately up to the elected officials, right? Ultimately, the 
it's up to Chumboway, right? He should have made the case to the voters. He almost, I mean, he almost succeeded. Uh, but but you, you got to work hard to retain electoral support or support of the constituents in, in the district. And I, I think there's also a legitimate concern that uh, he, he was too much of, uh, you know, being controversial and not as much, as, as, although his team tried to make the case, but I think there was a concern uh, that he wasn't doing enough for the constituents in the district. And, you know, there's some other interesting factors at play as well, right? It becomes a national issue. Uh, the, the DPP will say the Guomindang, again, they're doing this for malicious reasons. Guomindang will say it was initiated by the constituents, not really by us. And, and one thing you could be sure of, and I commented about this uh, in, in a, uh, something I authored earlier this week, that, that people are going to say that actually China was behind this, although I don't think that's been proven that, that, that the, 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 the commissars in Beijing thought uh, they, they should spend their time and effort on recalling a legislator from the second district of Taichung. Uh, but, but there'll definitely be people who say that this actually is a, a China conspiracy to uh, damage Taiwan's democracy. So, Michael, um, Ross there was mentioning the lowering of the thresholds. Ross is talking about not having much sympathy. I don't have much sympathy for the DPP or, or the, the so-called Green Camp if they're going to complain about uh, the, the, the referendums because the lowering to 25%, in my view, was, was a ridiculous move. So uh, Taichung's 2nd District has 294,009, so let's say 295,000 eligible voters. So that means you need 73,750, roughly. So he was recalled by le- fewer than 5,000 votes. And they only exceeded the 25 threshold, uh, percent threshold by 1.4%. So had the rules been what they were before, 50%, or maybe even if they had lowered it to 35 or 40 or whatever, he would not have been recalled. And to equate it with the Hangul Yuan is not exactly um, uh, accurate because uh, the, uh, the Han was, was ejected by a huge uh, majority. He would have been uh, taken out anyway, even if it had been in, uh, under the old rules. Uh, finally, real quick about China, uh, I would agree that it's probably not Beijing's top priority to evict this one individual person. But I did do a little research just before this uh, related to uh, line information and YouTube videos that have been referencing Chen Bowei, and a lot of them are just blatantly, clearly uh, made in China propaganda videos. So. Uh, it appears that, if nothing else, a, a small section of China's cyber army was put on, you know, make a few videos about this person that are, are, are negative. So, of course, that's n- not anything to be surprised about. Uh, China obviously doesn't like somebody who's uh, clearly advocating Taiwanese independence right now. And then also, I agree with uh, Ross that uh, he didn't. I, I personally, you know, found the guy quite likable. Um, I, I, I like colorful characters in, in, in politics. Uh, because having different views, uh, I think, is generally healthy. But he did pull a few stunts from time to time that made uh, his likability go down. For example, when he was questioning the uh, defense minister who doesn't speak Taiwanese in Taiwanese, and the defense minister basically pleading with him, could you just ask me it in Mandarin? And he's like, you should learn Taiwanese. Uh, It was a bit aggressive and unnecessary and certainly not something that aids in, you know, unity or national harmony or anything. So... Um, it's, it's, it's hard to say exactly how, how many of those factors played in. 
And more interesting, though, will be what happens on January 9th, which is the date they've set now for the re-election. And will the Yen family return uh, to, to power? If so, that will be an interesting development. Or will Taijong's 2nd District uh, continue uh, its, its latest trend of breaking out and uh, finding completely new options? And before we go this week, Taiwanese ultra-marathon runner Law Wei-Ming turned heads in New York this past weekend after he dumped his sneakers for a pair of sandals in the middle of the 25th annual Sri Chinmoy Self-Transcendence 3,100-mile race. Now, the race took place in the New York borough of Queens and Law finished second with a time of 48 days, 11 hours, 52 minutes and one second. And while he proudly waved the ROC flag as he crossed the finish line, it was in fact his flip-flops that garnered attention. Photos showed him wearing one yellow flip-flop and one white flip-flop with a rather fetching ROC pair of flag socks. Now, the flip-flops are made by B&M Cayman here in Taiwan and the eye-catching footwear is made with materials sourced from Formosa plastics that apparently are made using ethanol vinyl acetate and basically well formosa plastic says that it the it results in lighter more comfortable shoes that hug the user's feet better than shoes with rubber soles now of course ross you checked out the website of this company did you find the shoes rather fetching uh not quite sure what fetching means gavin i think that's one of your your british english isms uh but uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's one of the things that taiwan uh, designers, industrial designers, researchers, manufacturers do really, really well. There, there, there's some great companies in Taiwan that, that use recycled materials, whether to make, in this case, sandals, furniture. Uh, in, in the e-bike space, there are Taiwan companies that are making really light bikes out of recycled materials. But, but ultimately, what, what, what unfortunately often occurs is Taiwan companies are reluctant to spend the money on marketing, yeah. and then they wind up being the outsourced manufacturer for someone else. So, and I hope that doesn't happen with this product. I, oh, I wish them success under their own brand name. And yeah, there, there are some examples in Taiwan of that as well, uh, Giant being an example in, in the bicycle space. Uh, but you know, like with the, the electronics and consumer electronics manufacturers here in Taiwan, the hardware manufacturers often is the case that uh, they don't want to spend the money on marketing like the Korean companies were willing to do and before then the Japanese companies and build their own brand. Uh, so more uh, likely that this product will become popular worldwide. Taiwan will be an important, if not crucial, player in the supply chain, but not necessarily under their own brand. I do a lot of uh, voiceovers for uh, various corporate videos, and not long ago I did one for... Uh, I can't name the name, but it's a, a company that also makes similar, like antimicrobial, this, that, and the other. And, and the script was so poorly written in such horrific English that uh, I had to completely rewrite it and uh, had to fight with the, the, the manager of the company to explain why you couldn't do it this way. And it's just an example of what Ross is talking about, of you, you, you have this great product, but then you cut corners on advertising, marketing, uh, explaining websites, all this sort of stuff, and uh, it undercuts the, the, the whole made-in-Taiwan concept. But uh, the other side is, yes, uh, they've come up with some really interesting uh, things that mix science, recycling, and all kinds of stuff. So I do wish that they would uh, put more thought into 
uh, how they are perceived uh, overseas, whether or not the name or brands they're using, the, the tones of their videos and their marketing is, is global, and uh, not thinking that it's, it's, it's not important because it's kind of uh, the most important thing in a way. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined today by Michael Smith in Kaohsiung. Have a nice weekend. And Ross Feingold in Taipei. Good evening. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.